0: Father, we invite you to speak to us today and we thank you for the goodness of your grace. We thank you, Father, that, Lord, you have chosen to reveal yourself to us and to make yourself known through the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts this morning, that you give us ears that hear and a spirit that is open to listening. And Lord, I pray that if there's one that doesn't know you, that you draw them by the power of your spirit this morning. May you be glorified in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about creationism today. And uh, as we do so, I know this is a a, a hot topic uh, in the media, in the science world, the school system and even churches today. And uh, we're going to look at Genesis chapter one here in just a moment. Uh, but, you know, if you go back to my parents' generation uh, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even the 70s, the big uh, problem that people had with believing in God, primarily uh, the culture would say, you know what, it's that we just can't believe in miracles. And of course, the Bible is based upon miracles. Our faith is based upon miracles, starting off uh, with the miracle of the resurrection. We believe that God became man, which is a miracle in itself, and that he lived a perfect life upon this earth and that he died and not only did he rise from the dead, also uh, we believe that uh, through that resurrection, uh, he is alive today and that he is the God of the universe and that he has the power to forgive us of our sins. So uh, a lot of people in the, in earlier times would say, I just can't buy uh, the God of the Bible. I just can't buy the God because of miracles and i'm i just can't go down that road but what's interesting through science today particularly in the subatomic world of science they found out that some of these immutable laws some of the laws that they felt like could not be broken have actually been broken not only that we we our generation today we we've seen miracles we've heard of people who've been uh, radically healed and, and uh, our culture today is open to miracles uh, the question isn't are are miracles true and could they happen the question for most people is not, is there some kind of God that exists? The question is, can I believe the God of the Bible? That's their real question. I can believe there's a supreme being, that there's someone that maybe started things, but the God of the Bible, that's that's where people struggle today. Now, I want to give you some resources that I think are excellent. Um, and there still are people that just argue the existence of God, period. And I think there's some excellent resources that you can look at. The first one is this. It's called A Case for the Creator by Lee Strobel. Now, we had Lee Strobel here about uh, four or five years ago. And uh, matter of fact, Neil Brennan, one of our guys who uh, was born in uh, in England, uh, had just really struggled with, can I believe there's a God? And he came uh, to that seminar and read this book and said, you know, that that answered the questions that I needed. Now, the truth of it is most people, we come to our belief system three ways. Culturally, socially, and then either psychologically or logically, if you want to call it that. Uh, Most people, a big part of their faith has to do with how they were raised and then what they hear most people around them saying. Uh, And uh, that's why I think that um quite frankly, I'll go ahead and make a radical statement that Hollywood is a bigger enemy to the faith than just about anything that we have, uh, because there's a pretty clear message that's being sent there. And I, you hear it so much, you see it so much, and our kids see it so much that um, that's probably one of our bigger adversaries. But nevertheless... This is a great book that logically answers the question of a case for a creator. It's very easy to read, and he interviews some of the top scientists in the world, and uh, you can get that anywhere. Matter of fact, the, the first person that comes up here and promises to read, I'm going to give it to, to one of y'all because this is the last service, uh, so aren't you glad it came last service. But you can get it at Amazon, any Christian bookstore uh, that you want, but a case for the creator. Uh, another one that I'll mention to you, I don't have right here for you, but, uh, Know Why You Believe by Little. It is a excellent piece. Matter of fact, uh, that along with C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity were voted one of the 50 most influential books in Christian hi- history. So it's another excellent piece. Uh, it's, this is very, very simple to read, very easy to read. You'll go through this pretty quick. That's a little bit more. And then Mere Christianity, uh, probably the classic apologetic piece of all time. If you've not read this, I want to encourage you to. Now, this is a little harder to read. Uh, actually, it's a lot harder to read than this. Um, but it's a lot smaller. So um, so you should find some encouragement in that. Uh, but excellent apologist piece. C.S. Lewis, who had been an agnostic, uh, who really kind of dove in and, and really logically began to look at a case for faith and a case for, for even Christ, for that matter, and, uh, would encourage you to, to look at that piece. It's a, a great piece. And then, um, this is actually a case for creator for kids. If you have children that are 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, uh, this is Lee Stroubles' book, uh, just in a, a very elementary form. So, uh, and then, uh, there's another, there are some other books out there that you can have that are, that are free by Brad Farlow, Dr. Brad Farlow, who will, I will interview here in just a moment. Uh, but just wanted you to know about those resources and, uh, those are, Good books to to have on yourself that will help you and answer some questions that uh, you might find difficult uh we're going to begin here in just a moment in Genesis chapter one Genesis chapter one uh, one but before we do um <clears throat> as we're talking about this subject because this is such a hot button, let me just remind you of this before we dive into this um I, uh, as a matter of fact uh, he's he's running our lights today, but about a about a year ago. A couple of years ago, actually, uh, a family, Matt and Don Jones, many of you know them, Um, they started, uh, attending through our preschool and, and Don got really involved and accepted Christ. And then Matt had a lot of questions. He read through the books that I just listed here and, and several other. And, uh, after about a year, matter of fact, it's probably about a year ago right now, we sat down and he said, um, he said, you know, I'm almost there, but let me tell you, I got a couple of questions that I'm still really struggling with. And his biggest question was this. Do I have to give up evolution to become a Christian? Do I have to just say evolution is completely not true and, and I believe simply, uh, in creation and I just have to say evolution is a lie? Do I have to do that to be a Christian? And I told him no. Matter of fact, what's, what the problem is sometimes we add to the gospel. In order to accept Christ, let me give you the simple tenets that are essential for salvation. Number one is that I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. I believe that He's God and that He has the power to save me. Number one, tenet. These are the essentials. Number two, uh, I recognize my sinfulness and my need to be forgiven. I recognize I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. And number three, I believe that by faith in Jesus Christ, He can save me and forgive me of my sins. That's it. That's the gospel right there. That Jesus is God. And that he can forgive, that we are sinners and we need forgiveness, and that by transferring our faith to what he did for us on the cross, by grace, we can receive salvation. That's it. And as Paul said, cursed be anyone who adds to the gospel. When we start adding things to the gospel and say, well, you're going to have to do this, you're going to have to believe this and this and that and this. No, we're talking about the time of salvation. We're talking about experiencing Christ. So there's not a big list of things that we have to believe starting off. Now, hopefully we grow in this, and as we just did the Apostles' Creed, which is a a creed that's not quite 2,000 years old, but has been around almost that long, um, we see that it is a very important teaching. This is a very important doctrine, and it starts off right there in the beginning, saying, I believe in God, that I believe He's the creator of heaven and earth, and that's what Genesis 1 tells us. But I just wanted to start there because sometimes people have these hang-ups. I gotta do all this before I come to Christ. But once we come to Christ, he begins through the process of the Holy Spirit to divinely reveal to us truth and understanding. So let's look at Genesis chapter one, uh, verse one. And uh this is, this verse right here is is huge. As a matter of fact, these first seven words, uh, the rest of the Bible uh are Based upon these initial seven words, the rest of the the, the narrative of the Old Testament and even the New Testament, uh, it starts right here with these seven words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Starts right there. We've got to deal with that that verse, that passage, uh, that beginning. This is where it all starts. In the beginning, God created. So what does that tell us? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, first of all, we see here uh, the word God is Elohim. And uh, in chapter 2, we'll see Yahweh. <clears throat> but Elohim, the, the plural form is used. Now, there's a lot of debate, a lot of times in Jewish writings and in Hebrew in Hebrew writings, the intensity uh, of God when they were really trying to magnify something, they'd use the plural form. But also, I think it also alludes to the factor of the Trinity because we see that uh in at the end of chapter 1 here let us create man and um you see the trinity and when i talk about the trinity i'm talking about the father the son the holy spirit when we say jesus we're talking about god when we say the holy spirit we're talking about god when we talk about the father we're talking about god so in the beginning god we believe god to be eternal we believe him not to just uh simply have, have, have been there at the beginning but he is pre-existent. He always has been and always will be. And when we talk about the beginning, the origin of this earth, of this life as we know it, it would be my personal hypothesis that this is actually when the element of time came into play. God has always been existent. But now time has come into play. History, as we know it, comes into play. In the beginning, God created. That word created is only used in reference to the deity, to God. That word create. It's not something that man can do that we can establish or accomplish. Only God can create. So, in the very beginning, which shows there is a beginning, and there will be an end as we look at Revelations chapter 21 and 22, God, and what's interesting is when you look here at God, Elohim, the God, it's different than other creation accounts, other creation myths. Other creation myths from the Babylonians and, um, from different Mesopotamian r- religions and even the Greeks would, would typically go something of this nature. There were, there were a, a consortium of gods and, and two of them got into a, a fight and one reigned superior and through the death of the other the earth was established. And through the blood of one of the gods, mankind came about. It, in almost every instance, there's multiple gods and these gods have some kind of conflict or uh, some kind of contest or something occurs that the result of that is the earth and mankind. Now, there, there are a lot of others, but this is the only one where you see in the beginning, the God, ex nihilo, creates out of nothing. Out of nothing, God establishes the earth and the world and the order that we know today. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, I want to give you some terminology, because even right there between verse 1 and verse 2, there are different theories that people come up with, with everything from the age of the earth, to evolution, to young earth. And I want to share some of that terminology with you, because as we talked about earlier, uh a lot of people would just try to jump automatically to you got to believe this right away but i i just want to show you some different positions now i need you to listen closely because i'm not making a personal endorsement i'm trying to inform you and educate you okay so uh, you got to listen so you don't misquote me uh cuz then the um the um spiritual mafia will come get you all right whoever they may be all right so let's start here number 1 the term creationism. What, what, how do you define creationism? Well, it's a belief in a God who is the absolute creator of heaven and earth and humanity. And he did so by an act of his divine will. Okay? Creationism. We believe that, the, that God, uh, is in trouble. There's ultimately, there's one God and he's the creator of heaven and earth. And he created earth and mankind, uh, as an intentional act of his will. Okay, that's basically creationism in a sense. Now there's another term called uh term called uh, a biogenesis. Biogenesis is this, is that the supposed development uh of living organisms from non matter. The supposed development of living organisms from non matter. In other words, at some point in history somehow non living matter through billions of years of process evolved into a living organism. Now, it can't be supported by science, uh, but that's where you kind of have to, to begin. That's where uh, Dawkins and Hitchens, uh, who, who their position would be what we call philosophical materialistic evolution. And what do we mean by that? That God does not exist, therefore life began with I, a, a biogenesis, and everything is the result of unguided uh, evolution. So, everything is unguided, undirected, unsupervised evolution. That is correct. Now, let's just do an example for just a moment. If you have a pen, I want you to take it out for just a moment, and I want you to write a number, a nine-digit number. Just write any nine-digit number. Write a nine-digit number. When you have it, just look up here at me. And I'm going to see if I can guess what your nine-digit number is, okay? So, I'm going to pick... Bob. Bob, what is your nine-digit number? What do you think the odds are that I got that number right? 999-888-777. Now, the odds are much better that I got that number right than that creation just began on its own. That the earth was exactly the right size, the sun was in the exact right position, the moon was in the exact right position, and there was an additional moon, and that we had the, enough water, and that oxygen was just right, carbon, dioxide was just right, and that our earth that is spinning at 60,000 miles an hour throughout the universe in the middle of, the, uh, of our solar system at the exact right position, the odds of all that just occurring just randomly are far greater than I would have guessed that number. How many of you believe I just guessed that number correctly? That's one. Now, thank you. God bless you. I can sell you anything. All right. No, when you see that happen, what do you think? You think, well, somebody's been monkeying around. You know what? He, he kind of guided that. He kind of got that thing going. He, he gave some information there. He kind of manufactured that, which is exactly what God did. What is more plausible for us to just think, you know what? He just gets that number right. Matter of fact, what if I did that ten times in a row? I got ten different people. Would you be going? Man, he's so brilliant. God has just made him the most brilliant. you wouldn't think that you'd think something's going on. And you'd be right. Something would be going on. Matter of fact, Albert Planega, uh probably the most noted philosopher uh in the United States today, most respected. Uh, does the same, an illustration similar to that. He said, What if you played against someone and they had 20 straight times they had, the, the dealer dealt himself four aces? You would say, Uh, he's doing something like that. He's creating that environment. He's making that happen. That didn't just happen on its own. And you'd be right. But again, the odds are much greater that you could do that. You could, what if you were in the one, One particular universe out of trillions and trillions of universes where every time you dealt yourself 20 aces, is it possible? Yeah, it's actually possible. Is it believable? No. You would say uh, there's some kind of creator, there's some kind of influencer behind that. That's the point that I'm making for you today. And as we look at these other theories, that's, that's the huge obstacle, the huge hurdle that they're having to jump over. Now, that brings us to micro and macro evolution. Now, uh, go ahead and put micro evolution. That may be impossible because I didn't give it to you in that order. Uh, Macro Go ahead and put micro up there as well. Uh, Micro evolution. Now, I think most people believe in micro evolution. I I personally believe in micro evolution. What do I mean by micro evolution? Simply this, that um, that things happen within their species, for example... Uh, if an animal, uh, lives in a colder climate, that it begins to grow more fur. It begins to adapt to the environment. Uh, if a human being, uh, through the process of time, uh, lived in a, in a colder climate, his skin would be pretty lighter. If he lived in a much, uh, sunnier climate, his skin would become darker. Okay, those are things that we see, uh, on a micro level that certainly occur and have, and probably happen. Uh, so we we can visibly say that, but macroevolution would be this, um, that wholesale they change species. So in other words, uh, no longer is it a cat, but a cat could potentially become a dog or some other form of an animal, and it continues in that pro- process to literally change species. Uh, Large-scale um, macroevolution says everything evolved. And there is no intelligent supervision and no personal creator. Again, if we go back to philosophical uh, materialistic evolution. Every species, including humanity, evolved from the simplest form of life. Whether that was an organism out of the water or, or whatever. And everything about us has evolved. Our spirit of generosity, our need for faith, um, our morals, our values, that's all a product of evolution. Uh, and, and again, that's when it becomes def- difficult. Our our sex, sexuality, uh, male and female, that's all evolved if you go with that position. Again, microevolution, I think, uh, is very sustainable and very provable. Uh, that brings us then to, to the next point, which would be a term called theistic evolution. Now, what is theistic evolution? And incidentally, this is the position held by the Catholic Church. I'm not saying all Catholics hold this position, but the Catholic Church has affirmed this position. It's the belief that uh, evolution does occur, the science of evolution does occur, probably through the Big Bang Theory, and the process of evolution has occurred, and that was the means by which God created the earth as we know it. And uh, the only thing they would not affirm is that um, mankind, uh, that man himself does have a soul, Okay? that evolution could not create that. But as far as the life existence itself and everything that we see around us, that was a product of evolution, that God directed that through the process of evolution. That's called theistic evolution. Uh, Another position is called um, progressive creationism. And this has more to do with the old earth. And what do we mean by old earth? Uh, There are some who would say that the earth is millions and millions of years old, and others who would say the earth is... Uh, very young, anywhere from six to 10,000 years. Uh, those of the old earth would say, okay, one of the ways that probably life came about was through progressive creationism. And Dr. Hugh Ross takes this position, and he accepts most of modern science, most of evolution, uh, but that God was behind it, and that he sequentially, at different periods of time, created things. Created man at one point, and created different animals at different points. And different parts of the earth, and it, it was a progressive uh, pattern, and which uh, and was sequential uh, in nature. Uh, another another position that's very popular is called the day age theory, and it has to do with this: that the days listed in Genesis chapter one are not meant to literally be taken as days, uh, but as time periods. The word yom, and sometimes in the Bible it is referred to more than just simply a 24-hour period but that it could have been long periods of times. It could have been a thousand, could have been a million years between each day theory. And uh, so there, that's probably one of the most popular Old Earth um, positions. Uh, then there's the gap theory. How many of you ever heard of the Schofield Bible? Any, any of you have one of those? First study Bibles somebody gave to me. Um, and Schofield had this theory. He wasn't the originator, but he was the one that made it popular. The gap theory. That there was a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. That there was this... Earth, it was kind of unformed and old, and then later on, millions and millions of years later, God created uh, the current Earth that we have, and it's called the, the gap theory. Now, 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 I don't buy that, uh, but I just use that to tell you, you know, that's our study. He was a very conservative guy, but he came up with that position. Now, we go to the young Earth, the young Earth positions, and there are a couple things that to understand about young Earth. Many young Earth advocates would take this position. It's called the emphalus theory, and it, it's that... When God created mankind and the heavens and the earth, he did so where they were fully functional, where they were mature. In other words, we believe that when Adam and Eve were created, they weren't born as, as infants, but that they came as fully adult, uh, male and female. So it would stand to reason that everything else in the garden was fully functional and fully mature. The trees, uh, the vegetation, uh, everything was fully functional. Um, and then last, uh, catastrophic events. And, and I'm going to have Dr. Brad Farlow come in just a moment. And this is his position. He's written a little book. As a matter of fact, he has some in the back. Uh, that through the process of the flood, uh, the earth as we know it today came about. And so um, I'm going to invite uh, Dr. Brad Farlow and Dr. Ron Fa- Rhonda Farlow to come on up at this time. And uh, I want to visit with them for just a moment. And um, Brad has his Ph.D. in uh, chemical engineering. And then his wife is a doctor as well. And uh I would argue that they are probably the most well educated couple in our church. I know some of you would, would say that it's you, and um I'm welcome for you to come and try to make your case after the service. Uh but um and what's interesting also, uh there's another gentleman here in our congregation, in fact you've heard him preach, uh Dr. Matthew Harding, who's working on two PhDs right now, and already has one doctorate, and uh this is his position as well. And, and i say all that to say that I'm sympathetic to this position. But I, Even I still have questions that I, I, I can't answer. But you expect the pastor to say, oh, yeah, that's what he believes. That's the pastor's position. But what does science, science say? Well, I wanted, I wanted to give you science, okay? So um, you can not take my word for it. Uh, but let's let's talk to, to a couple of scientists and let's see what their perspective is and uh, why they believe what they believe, uh, which certainly is the position of uh, creationism. And so, Brad, I want to start with, with you, if I can, um, what evidence have you seen that makes you believe in creationism?
1: Yeah, so science, I know, is a favorite topic of everyone out there and just dying to hear all this. Uh, let's start with geology and paleontology. Uh, so largely the rock layers and the fossil record is what is used as proof for these long ages of evolutionary development, uh, these eons of time. Uh, anyone been to the Grand Canyon? It's fairly close here, a lot of people. Uh, so what's the story behind the Grand Canyon? You know, over 65 million years or so, uh, slow erosion, you know, slow and gradual processes. We found the Grand Canyon now as it is. Uh, but it took us eons of time basically, or millions of years. Uh, but does anyone remember Mount St. Helens, 1980? Uh, not too far ago for a lot of us in here. Uh, what we found out in 1980 is catastrophic events can do huge, uh, geological reworking of the, of the earth. Uh, within days to months, things that uh, occurred that we thought took long, long, or people thought took long, long ages of time to develop happened within days, days, a month. For instance, the uh, formation of rock layers, like you see in Grand Canyon, uh, the canyon itself was formed in outside of Mount St. Helen, one fortieth the scale of the Grand Canyon. Petrified trees happened within days, a month. So all these things that people would point to say take years and years and years and millions of years to happen happened within days, to months after Mount St. Helens erupted. Uh, so what does that have to do with anything? Well, that kind of leads into the fossil record. You know, the fossil record is the fossils that are in all these rocks, all, the, all these rock layers. Uh, and many p- people point to that and say, well, that's just proof of evolutionary development over millions of years. Uh, but actually, there is no proof of that scientifically. There's no transitional fossils. Obviously, that's a big topic on the news all the time. Uh, but what the fossil evidence actually shows is you have dinosaurs buried with plants and animals and fish that we have today. Uh, the evidence actually shows that there was rapid burial, there was catastrophic burial, uh, and there was water burial, so large-scale global type of events. Uh, so what does that point to for us? Uh, that would point you know to a global flood that we see in, in Genesis.
0: Now, uh, t- let's talk about dinosaurs, because I know my children are always asking questions about dinosaurs. What have you seen in the fossil records as a scientist? What are some of the discoveries that you've made in the fossil records in regards to dinosaurs?
1: Uh, Yeah, there's some really interesting discoveries that have come out just the past few years, and it's really not stuff that makes uh, headline news, but it is in the top scientific journals all around the world. Uh, Over the last few years, dinosaur soft tissue samples have been found. And what is a soft tissue? It's dinosaur skin, dinosaur connective tissue, uh, dinosaur blood vessels, blood cells. Uh, For instance, they cut a a femur of a T-Rex open, and inside was blood vessels and blood cells. Uh, so it really is starting to make even evolution, this thing, you know, how old can these fossils be? How did they get here? Uh, because blood cells, obviously, you know, don't last very long. I mean, they, they think probably even 100,000 years tops would be conservative to say you could find blood cells in a, in a fossil. Okay.
0: What other uh, scientific evidence leads you as a scientist to uh, point toward creation?
1: Now, I think it's something you brought up earlier, you know, the, the whole thing about how life is supported on earth. Uh, you know, Obviously, evolutionary theory would say life on earth was just random chance, and we have life here because everything just happened to be uh, what it was necessary for life to happen. Uh, but if you look at the biblical account, earth really is the central figure of Genesis 1. You know, in the beginning, God created a heaven and the earth, and you see God forming the earth and filling the earth, uh, all in preparation for the pinnacle of creation, which was us. Uh, Isaiah 45:18 18 said, God didn't create the earth to be uninhabited. So there was a purpose behind the earth being here. Uh, But if you look at the science around that, the atmosphere, the composition of the gases, the density of the gases, uh, the crust, the magnetic field, the ocean, you know, we're on the water planet, uh, the position of the earth in the solar system, the moon, as you referenced, uh, the tilt on the axis, you know, all these things in some regards uh, regulate the surface temperature, regulate protecting us from ultraviolet radiation from the solar system, uh, and provide obviously what we need for life. Uh, you know, so one obviously position is all these things happen by chance. Uh, but if you change any of these things by just the slightest percent or slightest margin, uh, life on Earth cannot happen. Either it's too hot, too cold, uh, too much water, too, too little water. Uh, so we think, you know, everything that we see with the Earth and why life is here really points to, uh, a design and a creator and a purpose behind it.
0: Speaking of that, could you, uh, give an instance of like, physical complexity that would uh, point toward the design argument?
1: Yeah, I mean, most are probably familiar with Darwinian evolution, you know, the slow gradual process over random mutations and chances brought complexity from simple simple forms. Uh, Humans would just be the highest of all species in that case. Uh, But science now is really showing design and complexity that are are not explainable by slow gradual processes over time, even if you say it's millions and millions of years. Uh, you know, everything, a lot of people say, well, look at irreducible complexity. That's the argument that's used. Uh, I would term it more all-or-nothing functionality. Uh, all the pieces had to be in place right from the beginning, fully functional. Otherwise, you would not have uh, this kind of gradual development. Uh, for, for instance, the human eye. Human eye has two million working parts, Uh 40 subsystems in the human eye, the retina, the pupil, the iris, the cornea, optic nerve, uh cortex. So all these subsystems all had to be there in place working properly. Uh, for it to have a fully functional eye, if you had a retina that was able to have an image without an optic nerve, it would have no place to transmit an image to a brain to a visual cortex to have an actual picture in your mind, uh, so it really makes no sense having certain pieces of our complex organ organs without everything fully functional in there to begin with, so evolution really cannot explain this complex design and uh, functionality that we have all in place at once,
0: so if there's one thing you 'd point to on why. As a scientist, you believe in creationism. What would that be?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I think it really rests on where you're placing your authority. Uh, you can place your authority in the science of man and man's scientific theories, or you can place your authority in, in Scripture. You know, and I uphold the inerrant, uh, infallible Word of God, obviously as the, the Word of God, biblical, authoritative truth, uh, including Genesis. Uh, and the creation account, the creation worldview, obviously holds up God's Word, God's nature, and the Gospel message. Uh I think not surprising to me is the scientific evidence in all disciplines really supports the biblical creation worldview, and we see that in all scientific disciplines. Uh Hebrews eleven three says by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So that which were, which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And so our faith obviously is a faith uh in the Word of God, but our faith doesn't have to be a blind faith. Uh even when it comes to science, the scientific evidence is supporting biblical creationism. Uh
0: this is uh, his wife, Dr. Rhonda Farlow, and uh, she actually does a lot of writing and uh, even lectures on uh, teaching children uh, creationism, and um, I wanted to ask her, she, as a matter of fact, you have in your bulletin, uh, you have a handout that she has written, and uh, so I wanted her to just take a moment to just kind of overview that, and also you've got uh, how to contact her there if you have questions, but Rhonda, if you would share with us just a brief overview of what you've written.
2: Sure. Sure. Um... I would say the most important thing in order to teach kids about uh, creationism is to start with your Bible, whether you use an iPad or, you know, a, a Bible that you hold in your hand or whatnot, just open it up with your kids. They need to see that you believe that what is written in this Bible is truth. And that, whether you know the answers to the questions that they're asking you about the dinosaurs, I don't or, you know, whatever else they're asking you about, they still need to see that you still go back to the Word of God in order to get first your clear direction, and then you go out and find other sources. Um, I would also say to allow the message of Genesis to be one that teaches your child about their worth and their purpose um, from God, but also to be an evangelistic message that helps them um, in into a loving and saving relationship with Christ, because ultimately that's what this is all about. Um, I would also say extremely important for you as parents and grandparents is to know what your child is being taught, whether they go to public school. I worked in public school for 18 years. Um, Whether they go to Christian schools, uh, as well as if you purchase the materials to homeschool your child. Uh, Everything that says creation uh, on it is not necessarily what uh, you may believe uh, in creation. So just be aware of what's in the materials. Um, And then if you run into any questions that you need help answering, my husband and I would would love to help you out. Um, We are members here at Rock Point. Uh, Ron knows how to get in touch with us. uh, So please don't hesitate to call us or email us. We have free resources for you in the back, on the back table. Please take them, um, kind of read through it. And if you have questions, we'd we'd be glad to help you out. So don't hesitate to ask us. Thank
0: you, guys. Well, I want to conclude here in the Gospel, John, Chapter 1. And... John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, speaking of Jesus Christ, who we believe to be God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. You see it echoing Genesis chapter 1 that we read earlier. And through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. So let me boil it down and make it real simple for you. It kind of goes back to Pascal's wager. Pascal wager in in the most simplistic form was this: everyone has to decide whether there's a god or not either there is a God or there is no god. Number two your decision regarding whether there's a god or no god has huge consequences number number three if there is a if there is not a God and you believe that there is uh, then there is really no significant downside Number four. If God is, in fact, the God of the Bible, who he says he is, and you deny that, you choose not to believe, then the ramifications are huge. So the question for you today is this. Uh, what will you choose? Will you choose to believe that there is God? Would you choose to believe the God of the Bible? The God of the Bible tells us this, that there was creation, there was a fall, redemption's been offered... And one day there will be recreation. But in order to be a part of that, we must start at the beginning. That there's God. That he has offered us redemption through the person of Jesus Christ. That we are sinners. And we need forgiveness. And we can only obtain that forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ. The word that is reflected here in John chapter 1. What have you decided? And by not making a decision, you make a decision. Let's pray together. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Christ. You've never made that step. Maybe you've had questions and just couldn't buy in. Maybe you thought you had to, to, to believe a lot of different things in order to come to Christ. But I'm here to tell you, as we started this sermon, the tenets are believing that Jesus Christ is the God of the universe. He has the power to save you. That you're a sinner and you need forgiveness and transferring your trust to Him. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that. You can pray that right now and then make us aware of that by coming to our Welcome room or coming and visiting with me or Rhonda or Brad or any of our other ministers. But I want to encourage you, if God has spoken to you today, to respond.
2: Uh, if you're a believer
0: today, then I want to invite you to prepare your heart for a time of communion as we come to the table of the Lord to receive of the bread and of the cup. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. We invite you, Father, uh, to take complete control of our lives. And we give you praise and thanksgiving as we receive of the bread and of the cup that represents the, the holy God of the universe who came and dwelt upon this earth and gave his body so that we might know forgiveness of sin because you said in your word there could be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So you shed your own blood. That anyone who would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and transfer our trust to what you have done from anything we could do or anything else, then we might be saved. Lord, we thank you. We remember and we worship and we receive. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.